All right, well, welcome back to Forgotten Lakers. We're here today with uh, former Los Angeles Laker, Brian Grant. Brian played with the Lakers in the 2004-2005 season. Brian, how are you doing today? Doing pretty good. How about you, sir? I'm doing good. Um, or well, where are you I'm, Where are you living now? I'm in the Pacific Northwest. Nothing but complaints. Rain oh. <laughs> in the 40s. But no, it's, it's beautiful here, though. Give it another month, and it's really beautiful around here. Cool. Did you decide to settle over there, um, you know, based on your career in Portland, or what made you get up, up to the Pacific Northwest? You know, when I was playing, uh, I had a lot of good friends here outside of basketball, and uh, the kind of circumstances kind of brought me back here, too, being diagnosed here, you know, OHSU being here in Portland, so mm-hmm. several things, but it's a, just a nice place to raise kids, I think. Very cool. One of the first questions I like to ask uh, when I get a chance to talk to a former Laker for this podcast is um, how did you get started with basketball and when did you realize that uh, you had a real future in it? Let's see. I got started with basketball my eighth grade year in school. Mm-hmm. Up until that point, I only liked football. I was like two or three inches taller than you know most of my cousins. And I, I grew up around 11 cousins, boys that were either the same age, a year older or a year younger. So it was very competitive little rural town in southern Ohio. Uh-huh. But uh, when uh, we didn't have a football team, a uh, high school football team, I had to play basketball, and I wasn't very good at all. never got chose. But, you know, I had to stick with it just because I was tall. And then so I saw you. Yeah, you played in high school, ended up going to Xavier. I actually went to another Jesuit college. I went to Loyola University in New Orleans. All uh, right, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So, but uh, how'd you um, get settled on Xavier for your college career? Well, first of all, man, I, college never really was an option for me, or I didn't think it would be an option for me because we definitely couldn't afford it, and I wasn't the smartest. I wasn't the smartest uh, cat on the team, that's for sure. But um, you know, things worked out to where I hit a crazy growth spurt my freshman year. At the end of my freshman year, I was five ten and a half when I came back. Well, my sophomore year, I was 6'4". So just trying to grow and and grow into my shoes and into my clothes and things like that. And by the time I was a senior in high school, I was around 6'7". And uh, couldn't do much of anything but but dunk it, but that's all people really wanted to see. Oh, yeah. (laughs) Um, I saw that you – I was, like, reviewing your college stats – and you had a really strong junior year, but decided to come back for your senior year. Were you considering going to the NBA after your junior year? Absolutely not. I didn't even know that the NBA was a possibility. Oh, that, wow. That, that became a possibility on the fly. It was like, you know, senior year was over. I put in resumes at uh, Procter & Gamble, General Electric, Grippo's Potato Ship, and I think uh, Jim Bean. Uh-huh. So I, I was ready to work for us. To me, I was graduating with a – a degree from Xavier and a ton of contacts to be able to at least secure a, a decent paying job. Wow. It wasn't until like uh, a month after the season was over that my coach Pete Yellen called me in and said there were three agents that wanted to talk to me about postseason, you know, post career play. And I said, what do you think? And he said, it doesn't hurt to just try. So I met with him. One was Bill Duffy, who's still the big time agent. The other one was Ryan Grinker who passed away years ago. Mm-hmm. And then, the last was the guy that I went with, and that was Mark Bartlestein, who, who owns Priority Sports. He's one of the biggest agents in football as well as basketball. Yeah, then you end up getting drafted by the Sacramento Kings in the 94 draft. 
I know you had uh, some decent teams there, made the playoffs in 96. Uh, and then, but I, my question about your Sacramento tenure, uh, did you get a sense of what the fans could be, like what they could bring to Arco Arena back then? I know they weren't as successful as they were, you know, in the early 2000s with Chris Weber and Vladi and Peja and everybody. But did you get a sense of what the Sacramento fans could bring to the table? Absolutely. I mean, it was the only game in town. And regardless of whether we were winning a lot of games or losing a lot of games, they definitely were there to support. And, uh, you know, I, I always, when people ask me, and where I really love playing and who had the best fan base, I always put it, you know, Sacramento right up there with Portland because uh, they they truly came out to support the team. And if you did, you know, you didn't have to do a lot, but if you did a little to put yourself within the community by helping out, they really took to that and they really helped make that possible for you. Uh, what are your, uh, like, do you have any specific memories from Sacramento games that you could share? Uh, yeah, I can my very first game, we were playing, uh, we were playing Seattle and, uh, they were redoing the, uh, key arena. So we were playing at Tacoma, at the Tacoma Dome. Uh-huh. And I remember I went down and I dunked on that left shrimp and all of a sudden somebody came up and slapped me on the butt and I thought it was like one of my teammates. It was Sean Kimmy. He was like, oh, oh boy, that was sick. That was sick. Oh, yeah. and I was like, like laughing. And then, uh, two plays later, he goes in and dunks on our feet and he goes, Oh now, you gotta give my props on that one. That was sick too, though. And it was just like, <laughs> here I am out here with Sean Kemp, the Rain Man, you know, uh-huh. and just having fun. Let's have fun. I mean, this is the fun thing. It's been no stressful thing. Let's just have fun. And it just that was one of my biggest memories because I just thought, you know, everybody from Sean Kemp to Carl Malone, people like that, that it was just all business, and you know, nobody was enjoying it. But that, I, I couldn't be any farther from the truth. Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, that's funny. After Sacramento, it's been three years in Portland, move on to the Miami Heat. And, you know, I have so many – I went just like I said, I went to school in New Orleans, and I have so many friends who ended up there who are from Miami. And you are, like, one of the most beloved players in, like, Heat history. Uh, just they always talked about how much they appreciated your effort, your hustle, your defense. And even I texted one of them the other day. I said, I think I'm going to record with Brian Grant this weekend. And he started freaking out saying how you were his favorite player growing up. Um, so I just want to share that with you, how much Heat fans appreciate you. I'm sure you're aware of that, though. You know, Miami was great, too. It was, uh, for me, the, the cultural difference was a little tough at first. But then once you just kind of realize, hey, take it all in and enjoy it. It was just, I loved it. So many different, you know, cultures and foods and just people. It was, it was a big melting pot and I enjoyed my time down there. And, you know, to be able to play four years with Pat Riley as my mentor, just, I mean, that's priceless, man. Believe me. Sure. Yeah. So you're there, you kind of bridge the gap from, you know, the Tim Hardaway, Alonzo morning area era to the beginning of the Dwayne Wade area. And then you were, I mean, so from Miami, you're involved with the blockbuster trade to the Lakers involving Shaquille O'Neal. So do you remember like what you were doing when you found out you were traded to the Lakers? I was in Ohio visiting my parents on their farm. Mm-hmm. And uh, my, my wife at the time, Gina, comes out and she was upset. And I was like, what's wrong? She goes, we well, already moved to LA. And I go, why? And they go, and she goes, I just saw on ESPN that Shaq wants to be traded. And Miami is one of the three places that he'll play for. It was Dallas, Miami, and somewhere else. Uh-huh. Where as good as gone. 
And I was like, nah, I think, I think we got a chance to be there still. And then a few weeks later, I, I was in a, I was involved in a trade and, you know, I understood the trade. And when I look back and or when I look back to, to tell my grandkids or they tell their, their kids and say, you know, my, my grandpa or my dad got traded to the Lakers for Shaquille O'Neal, for Shaquille O'Neal. Yeah. You know, it's like, you know, I wasn't just trade bait. I was uh, involved in one of the biggest trades in Heat history, and then he he turned around and won a championship from it. So Yeah, exactly. I, yeah, I, I could see why it would be flattering getting to be involved with a trade for, you know, one of the greatest players of all time. Um, so as you, yeah, Karan Butler, Lamar Odom get traded for Shaq, and you know, that was the 2004-2005 season, one of the really more unique years in Laker history. Just, you know, it was the first year post-Shaq, a year of transition. Uh, Rudy Tomjanovich came in. And I remember, yeah, so I'm from Dallas, but I'm a lifelong Laker fan. I was, you know, watched every game I could. Um, and y'all had a pretty decent season for the most part, like until you were probably playing about 500 ball until about that March time frame. And then I remember you guys were on a big road trip and you win a game in Dallas, you win a game in Charlotte when Kobe hit a game winner at the buzzer. And then it seemed like everything just kind of fell apart that year and you fell out of the playoff picture starting with that road trip. Do you remember that or like what was going on that caused such a, you know, dramatic decline towards the end of the year? You know, every everything that we were doing that year was constantly being tested on shaky ground. You know, the fact that Rudy Tomjanovich was coming in trying to take a team that had gotten rid of Shaq and decided to keep Kobe and then brought myself, Karan Butler, and Lamar Odom in. Everything was like a test, you know, visually as well as physically to see how we, we would respond as an organization, how Rudy would respond as a coach, and how we would respond as players. You know, I think for a while there, we kind of had it. But then once it got away, there wasn't really no getting it back. Uh-huh. I think, you know, coaches, I was, I was very – honored to be able to have the opportunity to play with him to really understand him he is, I know why he's a champion because he, he doesn't do anything second second hand or half ass he goes out and does it to the fullest I can remember we were lifting weights first time we were lifting weights I was on a lap pull down machine and I had three plates left and I was you know I did it three times and felt like I was you know big strong dude and he goes oh man you can throw that up on me and I said yeah he goes let me try it and I said all right and he puts all the weight on there and does it five times, looks at me, and I just turn around and go, good job, and walked off. Oh, yeah. <laughs> he was the first dude to practice and last one to leave, and he lived like an hour away. Yeah. So, I mean, to see those types of things, a guy at his age who already had, you know, a few championships was impressive for me. It was very impressive. And then I also got to see the bad side of things, uh, you know, going out to hang for a little bit, or going to 7-Eleven, come out, and – Car, the, the cab was surrounded, you know, by kids and people. I'm not going to be shaking. And I'm like, wow. Oh, you know, yeah. this guy really can't go to the store, you know. So it, it, it was cool. And then to get back on subject, you know, as things started to come apart, it was like I didn't know what to do. You know, Kobe tried to do the best that he could do as our leader. But, you know, Rudy ended up having some mental issues as far as a a nervous breakdown, and this we weren't able to really get it back at that point. Sure. Yeah, and then um, that was your only year in L.A. Go on to your last year in the Phoenix, um, 2005-2006 season. 
So what was the, I mean, aside from your diagnosis, which you touched on briefly earlier, what was the biggest transition for you, you know, going from the everyday life of an NBA player, you know, what you're doing now, what was the toughest part of the transition for you? Um, Just not being a part of something, a schedule for, you know, the last 12 years, I had a schedule. I knew when I needed to be in a certain place and what kind of shape I needed to be in. Um, And then all of a sudden that came to an end and I had to figure out how to fill gaps, you know. Vinny Del Negro, I was speaking to him halfway through the season. He told me, Brian, have you you prepared for retirement? I go, yeah, man, can't wait to retire. I'm going to fish and I'm going to sit on the beach and have a couple beers. He goes, no, but have you prepared yourself? I said, what do you mean? He goes, Brian, retiring is one of the hardest things I ever had to do. And for most guys, it's like that because we've been playing ball our whole career, and now all of a sudden it stops, and we got to find things to do. And that seems like it wouldn't be that hard of a thing to do, but it is very hard. He was right. We all kind of are professional athletes, and I think not just in basketball but other sports. We go through this form of depression, this minor depression, and minor depression can turn into major depression. That's what happened to me. I was in it for nine months. Bad. Oh, and my God. I, I had to get help. So what what are you doing now with with your retirement? I know you, um, you have your foundation, which I was hoping you could talk about. And uh, what else is going on for you? Um, I do a lot of work for the foundation. I also have a speaking business called Brian Grant Speaks. And that's at briangrantspeaks.com where I go out and give inspirational speeches, uh, team building, things of that sort, do keynote speeches, as well as, you know, whatever it is that the people hiring me want me to do. We can basically do it. And then as far as the foundation goes, you know, I work alongside of Katrina Call, who is our executive director, you know, setting up events, meeting with donors, uh, working on our programs. And what we do at the Brian Ground Foundation is we try to bring awareness to the benefits that exercise and nutrition can have on managing your symptoms. It's mm-hmm. a proven fact. And that's another good reason to be here in Portland and have our foundation be based out of Portland is because we got all our data from a study that was done up at OHSU, which was funded by Andy Grove, who recently, a couple of years ago, passed away from Parkinson's. He was the CEO of Intel. So he, you know, he put about three or $4 million into, you know, researching this and showing the benefits. And so that's kind of what we do. Michael J. Fox, they're in research the Ali's, they're in patient care, and we're just trying to show people, especially young onset people who still have kids and families that they need to be a part of, how to do that and how to be proactive in their own treatment. Well, that sounds great. And uh, yeah, I encourage the listeners of this podcast to go to briangrant.org and you can read about, um, you know, the foundation, you can make a donation. And, re- and if there's anybody listening to this who does have Parkinson's there's all kinds of exercise tips and nutrition tips nutrition tips like Brian just uh, Brian just mentioned so uh, thank you very much Brian I really appreciate you coming on the Forgotten Lakers podcast and uh, best of luck with everything and uh, I'll be sure to put a link to your foundation in the episode description that listeners can access I'd, I'd like to say one more thing if I could oh of course I'd like to thank the Lakers Nation uh, fan base for being uh, more than uh, Bear with me as as an athlete, as someone who was able to play for them for one year. It, it's really incredible to be in places where you think, you know, you're not even finding running water, but you'll see a Lakers banner up there with Magic Johnson or 
with Kareem, and that's, that's very impressive. And even though we weren't able to be successful when I played for the Lakers, I'll always remember that, and it, it'll be one of the years, one of my greatest learning years. So thank you. Oh, yeah, no, thank you. Um, like I said, you have fans everywhere you played, including Lakers, obviously. So uh, thanks again, and best of luck with everything. I appreciate it. Thank you. Yeah, we'll Take go care. On.